clang, clang, clang went the trolley. Ding, ding, ding went the bell. It's Liza with a Z, not Lisa with an S, cause Lisa with an S goes snuds. Let me hear you say, hey, Miss Carter. Don't cry for me, Argentina. There can be a hundred people in the room. Liza! I'm Robbie Latua. And I'm Tequila Mockingbird. <laughs> Welcome to Divas on Divas. The podcast where we make our diva obsession your problem. I'm really glad that you got that right this time because we have one of the world's <laughs> longest intros and you've messed it up twice now. And uh, we don't have we don't have time to do that again. No, we really don't. <laughs> Here I am just tripping over my own tongue tonight, listeners. So if I get a little tongue tied, you'll just have to bear with me. I won't. <laughs> they might. I won't. <laughs> Tequila, it is episode two, Divas on Divas. We're back again. We will be your divas. We are going to be focusing on a diva. Before that, we are going to be focusing on our wines, a really beautiful wine that we're drinking today. Stop it. It's a delicious blend. (laughs) It's a blend I'm not aware of. I haven't heard of it before. It is a delicious blend, Robert. (laughs) It is a blend of a what I thought when I was mixing two half bottles of wine together in my fridge today, I thought I was mixing two Pinot Grigios together, and it wasn't. It was a Pinot and a Sav Blanc. And it wasn't until you pointed it out that I noticed it. (laughs) um. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed that message today. I've just put my Pinot with your Pinot in the same bottle, which is never a good idea anyway. I've just mixed the two Pinots, I'll bring them over. I mean, you mean my Sav. So we're drinking a beautiful blend of Sav Pinot Grigio. I've got to say, it's not too bad. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. (laughs) I mean, it's about a $7 bottle of Sav anyway, so you've probably made it better. Tequila, very excited about today's episode. I reckon one of the only divas that we're going to be focusing on that you and I have not only both seen together, but have seen together twice. Twice now. I was just thinking about this earlier today while I was finishing off my research for her about that the first time that we saw her together and how much fun we had that night. Oh my God. And all of the memories of that just came flooding back about how excited we were and how long we'd waited, especially that night to see her because we stood there at Mardi Gras waiting mm. and waiting and waiting to see her. And then when she did come out and the curtain dropped, and we lost huge. our minds. It was huge. We are talking, of course, about honestly one of my most idolised and favourite people in the world, Cher herself. And I'm really excited for this episode as well because knowing how much of a fan of Cher you are and how much she means to you, I'm really excited for the kind of stuff that I'm going to learn from you probably You're hoping today. I'm going to cry, aren't you? Well, Because yeah. it's possible. Well, there's a good chance. You've already I cried was, about her today I once. I did so. cry already today when I was watching some highlights. <laughs> oh. The thing about Cher is that she was always, to me, not even human. Like, as a gay boy growing up, I used to dance around my lounge room. I'll talk more about it later, but I had a routine for Strong Enough planned when I was, like, a teenager. I used to dance around my lounge room. I had a whole choreographed thing done. It was the height of me sort of coming out of the closet and being gay was idolising Cher. She was just this superhuman to me. It wasn't someone that you could ever have a negative opinion about. If someone was to say to me when I was between the ages of probably 14 and 33, (laughs) if someone was to say to me... (laughs) That Cher just wasn't for them, I would say, what are you talking about? That is just not possible. Cher is for everybody. She was this deity almost. Yeah, this higher (laughs) being. Yeah, it's really interesting because that was my sort of first introduction to Cher as well was the Believe album. I remember I was nine years old when I got gifted it for Christmas. It you was, never had a chance. I never, I, no, I never stood a chance. That was it. And I was gifted this album. Pat Monroe, Pat Monroe did a job on me. <laughs> she was like, this she one set, is going to be set me up for a flavour. Um, and honestly, I so love I, you, Pat, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, hi, Mum. <laughs> I got this album, I was nine years old, and I remember listening to it, and I would listen to it, like, start to finish, over and over and over again. And it had some of my favourite share songs, like Duval Amore, uh, Strong Enough, Believe, just, like, all those really, like, yeah. late 90s, like, dance floor bangers. And I remember I used to have dolls, and I used to make them do, like, a share concert before... 
I knew what a share concert was. And I used to I used to get them up and I used to like make my dolls do these little concerts with the CD playing from start to finish for all of my family. They I, couldn't care less. I thought my revelation of having a choreographed number just strong enough <laughs> in my lounge room was the gayest thing we're gonna hear today, but that is a hundred percent the gayest thing we're gonna hear today. Let's get cracking, let's get Shirley Bassey in, let's get started with the facts and figures, the basic stuff that we need to know about share. She was born Sherilyn Sarkitsian on May 20th, 1946 in El Centro, California, the same year, Robert, as Dolly Parton. Good year for Davis. Her parents divorced when she was 10 months old and Cher was primarily brought up by her mother, Georgia Holt. The, f- the fantastic Georgia Holt, the oh icon herself. Goodness. Really. Did you see that photo that's been circulating around Facebook recently of Cher and her mother together? And it was like Cher at 72 and her mother at 92. Something like that. And yeah, they yeah. look like sisters. Vampire. I was like, this is... <laughs> Who's, whose blood are they sucking? None, to be able neither to of them look are. a day over 50. It's no. crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. I love her. Cher is, of course, another of one of our rags to riches stories. She often spoke about being really, really poor when she was a kid. Her mum worked quite a lot as a model and an actress, but not really on any huge celebrity level. And therefore, they would move around the country quite a lot. Georgia would get her and her half sister small acting roles here and there as children, but Cher always wanted to be a movie star. I love this. The way that people talk about Cher, that when to school with Cher, said that she just was always like, I'm going to be famous. And they say that they just had no doubt that she was, she was, because she was a trendsetter and a trailblazer from the beginning and such a big, <sighs> forgot to breathe. <laughs> such, a, <laughs> such a big, <sighs> such a big personality. She dropped out of school at 16 and moved to LA where she was working in clubs and networking until she met Sonny when she was only 18 years old. Sonny introduced her to his record producer, who was obviously the very big head and big wig of all the studios at the time, Phil Spector, and he agreed to work with her. So she had some limited success as a solo act in 1963, but the real stardom came when they paired up and recorded I Got You Babe together, which was in 1965. Yeah, when she was only 21, which is crazy to me. She has 26 studio albums, three live albums, and four soundtrack albums. She starred in 18 movies and has had three Separate Vegas residences. Her most famous songs are, of course, I've Got You, Babe, with Sonny Bono, If I Could Turn Back Time, Strong Enough, and Believe. Do you want to see my routine for Strong Enough? Yes, please do it right now. <laughs> like we'll I make a little video and we'll put it on the website. <laughs> I don't remember what I had for breakfast tequila. <laughs> like I remember what those dance moves were when I was 14 years old. She has starred in such films as Silkwood, Moonstruck, Burlesque, and, of course, Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. You know, the most famous of the Mamma Mia movies. <laughs> um, she was married from 1969 to 1975 to Sonny Bono, and that marriage produced their wonderful son, Chaz Bono, who was born in 1969, the year that they got married. <laughs> Shotgun wedding much? <laughs> <laughs> she was married in 1975, her second and last marriage. She was actually married four days after her divorce from Sonny was finalised. <laughs> I love it. Don't let the dust settle. Get back on that horse, Cher. 1975 to 1979 to Greg Allman, where she had her other child, Elijah Blue Allman, in 1976. Robert, she has three quarters of an EGOT. She's just missing a Tony Award. I know. Oh. Do you think maybe one day? Is she too old now for Broadway? Well, I don't know because I'm gonna I'm gonna go into this a little later. It's really it really sucks because there she technically she technically, she she technically have does have a Tony. Kind of. But we'll oh. we'll cover this a little bit later on. She has one Academy Award from two nominations. Remember, I lost the Oscar for Moonstruck. <laughs> But you won the Oscar for Moonstruck. And don't you forget it. (laughs) And we never could forget it. (laughs) Classic, of course, she's telling Jack there on Will and Grace. The Best Actress Award for Moonstruck in 1988, which makes her one of only five singers who have both a US number one and an Academy Award. Oh, okay. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm full of fun facts. I would love to know the others. Well, I don't have that information, (laughs) do I? (laughs) You can just be happy with what I have got. She's got one Grammy from seven nominations, which was the best dance track for Believe, and was inducted to the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2017. She has one Emmy Award from seven nominations in 2003 for Outstanding Variety Musical or Comedy Special for the Farewell Tour. Yes, which my well-worn copy of that... Same. Oh my goodness! I don't know that I got that D 
DVD and because it came like a DVD CD set. Mm. And we it was Easter. It and was a Easter holographic yes. cover. Yeah, holographic cover. And it was Easter one year, and we went. And all these poor families that we shared Easter with got nothing but that DVD and CD on repeat for the entire <laughs> weekend. And I was like, I don't care. This is this is my time. This Never is had what a the homosexuals do. Never had a chance. She has sold over 100 million solo records, in addition to the over 40 million records she sold with Sunny, which makes her one of the top selling music artists of all time. She is the only. Only artist in the world to have had a number one single on the Billboard charts in six separate decades, from the 60s until the 2010s. How great is that? And what is really interesting about that is that we're now into a new decade. Can we get a one in the next yeah, 10 years? let's do it. I reckon we can because the last decade one was burlesque, right? So all we needed to do is have her star in another musical and have the song from that musical go number one. Yeah, well, she has, the, she has a new album coming out this year, so fingers crossed we can hope for that. She does have a Hollywood Walk of Fame star, but she forfeited her right to her own star in 1983 when she was unable to appear at the unveiling. But she is still featured with a, uh, a star that Sonny and her got for the Sonny and Cher duo that went down in 1998. Yeah, it's this weird rule that the Hollywood Walk of Fame board have that you have to be there when you accept a star, otherwise you just don't get the star. Except from Sonny, probably in 1998. They probably didn't expect him to be there. No. Well, this is exactly what just popped into my head. What about, like, do they do, like, posthumous stars? Yeah, they, they for would. For people who... I'm sure it doesn't count. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they don't... Yeah, I'm sure that that rule doesn't bring count. bring an there. urn. It's a funny thing, the Hollywood Walk of Fame stars. I believe you also have to pretty much submit yourself and pay And you have to it. pay for it. Yeah. It's, and it's not cheap. Yeah. I've heard RuPaul talk about it. It's time now to talk about some of our most iconic moments and highlights from Cher's career. And isn't it iconic? Don't you think? Those vocals stun me every time. Every time. Honestly, every I don't time. know where they got those two backup singers, but I think it's really beautiful that they, Pitch they asked them to be involved. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know me, first take every time. <laughs> Tell people we recorded that at least 85 <laughs> times. Yeah, wait till they hear the blooper reel. <laughs> so Cher is the, the queen of reinvention. We sort of touched on it a little earlier. She's had a 60-year-long career. Which is just, it's just crazy when you think about it. She's kept up with the times the entire way through her career. Mm. So she started out as like in the 60s when she was she had her, her solo career and the stuff with Sunny, and it was all very like folk music of the time and they did that and they sort of bled into that and that was great. And then when the 70s came around, she switched into disco with like the Take Me Home era and then in the 80s she moved to like the Turn Back Time era which was like rocky and really like anarchist and really like punky mm. and then the 90s she went into like the the pop of the time and that's when we started hearing more of the vocoder stuff and the all of that and then into the 2010s she came in with like the closer to the truth dance floor bangers yeah right my god and it stayed really strong like Women's World is one of my favourite share albums, and that's that's you know that's fairly recent yeah 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 of the modern era yeah yeah she's just always sort of had she's just like had that and and ability to but they've always called it a a a comeback every time so she's had Six, what's that, Look, six comebacks? But she never really left. To be fair, that's kind of on her for having the farewell tour. Oh, in the early, God, the tour that never ends. Early this millennium where they were like, oh, this is it. The tour that never ends. Yeah. And it just keeps coming back and coming back. And then she goes to Vegas and she, she did this press interview once where she was just like, well, I'm going to call this one the Never Can Say Goodbye Tour because <laughs> I really just can't and I don't know when I will or if I want to. And I'm She's like, so tongue-in-cheek about it too when we saw her here. <laughs> When was it, a couple of years ago? Two years ago. Two years ago when we saw her in Melbourne, it was, she gets the joke. Yeah. She, 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 she opened by going, oh, well, here I am again. Back again. <laughs> and here's my new movie, Here We Go Again, <laughs> Mamma Mia 2. <laughs> very funny. She knows what she's doing. She's a very smart businesswoman. She's a brand. I wanted to go a little bit further back in time, if we can, to the Sunny and, the days of the Sunny and Share show, which was iconic in its own. Well, it was called the Sunny and Share Comedy Hour. Apparently, it came around. Uh, writer Sintra Wilson reports that the Sunny and Share TV show was born out of a depressing lounge act that they were touring clubs with at the time. I think they had sort of had all their big hits, and they were a little bit on the decline. And they were doing sort of the club cabaret circuit, but it was a little bit sort of 
mellow and, and not really their style and the audience would heckle them and then Cher would heckle back in her very Cher way, which I absolutely <laughs> I can imagine. And then Sonny would sort of reprimand her on stage and then she would heckle Sonny and it was this sort of banter that was born out of this touring that they were doing. It was noticed by TV executives who uh, then started casting them as guest spots, guest hosting spots on shows and then eventually uh, picked them up for a TV show which ran for three years with an average of 30 million viewers, which is pretty crazy numbers for the US back then. The TV show had a really strong emphasis on their banter. They would, of course, come out and sing a couple of songs, but they would sort of fire at each other back and forth. And this is one of my favourite little clips of that. Do you know why they applauded like that? I think your microphone went dead. (laughs) No, she's she's just kidding. I mean, you folks know what a great talent I am, and in appreciation of your good taste, I've got some great plans for you. What do you think of this? A music school. Fantastic. You should enroll immediately. I'll pay your tuition. <laughs> no, no, I am, I'm planning to open. I, I came up with this idea. I'm planning to open the Sonny Bono School of Music, where I can teach students everything I know about singing. I thought, that shouldn't take too long. <laughs> go in there on your lunch break and dip in, dip out. <laughs> Sass. I love that. It's, it's really great. Great. Um, further to that point, she said in an interview with the LA Times in 2018, they asked her what like the favourite part of her concerts usually is. And she says, and I quote, the talking. I do it the same way Sonny and I did it. We were broken. We owed the government a ton of money. So we went into these dinner theatres and it was a nightmare. So we just started trying to make the band laugh. And if it was funny, we'd keep it in. Then all of a sudden, after all of these monologues, it was standing room only. So that's what they were known for. Yeah, it was right. their comedy and their back and forth. And she would constantly as well pick on because there was quite a height difference between Sonny and Cher. If you look at them in those days and she would be in the big platforms and he would be in the big platforms, but he was still like a good foot shorter than she was. Yeah. <laughs> and she would constantly, that was a running joke throughout the show, is she would constantly pick on his short stature and like make fun of him for being just a teeny tiny person. <laughs> That there, makes me laugh. There is no amount of money in the world that I wouldn't pay to see that. Like it just they have a they have such a great chemistry and such a great banter. Yeah, it's it's almost like it mimics some of the great comedy duos that we see now. According to Cher's biographer, Connie Berman, she was quoted saying that Sonny and Cher exuded an aura of warmth and playfulness and caring that only enhanced their appeal. Uh, one of the things that certainly for me connects with Cher and my love for Cher, and I think possibly where it all started, was because of the gay explosion that it was for me as a teenager to take two things that I loved more than anything in the world in in terms of pop culture, which was Cher and Will and Grace and combining them together. There is, of course, that really iconic uh, scene in Will and Grace where Jack meets Cher but doesn't realise that he's meeting Cher, thinks he's meeting a drag queen. All right. I do a better Cher than you. You think so? (laughs) Actually, it's... You think so? Ho! Are you kidding me with this? Okay, the hand is perfect, but it's more... Are you kidding me with this? Ho! Get a life. It was so amazing to me. I loved that scene. I've seen it over and over again. But it was this attitude that she had and the fact that she was able to laugh at herself. And I think that's what I really identify in a diva is someone who doesn't take themselves too seriously, a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and kind of gets the joke for her to come on and and be willing to be sent up. One of the biggest stars in the world being willing to be sent up, you know, essentially as a drag queen. And at that time as well, she was on the up and up with the the Believe album, with with the resurgence in the late 90s. And it's <laughs> something from that scene that I will never. It's when he does the here I can turn down. Here I can turn back down. 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 
Yeah, we've all done it. <laughs> we've all done I it. I love it. It's still to this day one of my favourite things. And I love that that's how a new sort of generation of of queer kids that were, were growing up and sort of watching this new groundbreaking show on NBC, Will and Grace, got to got to experience that was their sort of first experience of of this diva. And yeah. it's it's such it really warms my heart because I remember the first time I saw it and it just was it was so beautiful. This is something fun that I learned while I was doing my research is that Cher was the first woman to show her belly button on TV. <laughs> Scandalous. <laughs> Scandalous. But for the time when they were doing the Sunny and Cher show, and obviously all of her costumes were custom Bob Mackie. Mm. Bob Mackie designed her costumes the entirety of her career. And she she did. And she was the first outfit was a, like a reveal. And she tore it off and she was in this these long bell-bottom mm. pants and this tiny little crop top. And she had her bare midriff just hanging out. Yeah. And she was interviewed about it once. And she said the interviewer was like, oh, I think you were one of the first people. She goes, no, I was the first woman <laughs> on TV to show her belly button. And don't you forget it. <laughs> and don't you forget it. She was a trailblazer and I think that's one of the things that people are uh, quick to forget is that she was also this fashion icon. Even before the times of Bob Mackie, you know, she had the bell bottoms and the vest and that was such a popular look and girls would start turning up to her concerts dressed as share. People were getting their hair flat ironed and, and dyeing it black. Like that was a look that wasn't happening. You know, she was she was setting trends for fashion way back in the 60s. And still to this day, that's what she's that's what she's done. She's- How great was the book from the concert that we went to a couple of years ago? The program is just this. Stunning photos of her in so many different fashion Costumes photo shoots. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah, photo shoots, of course. And like, I was mad for a minute that I was having to pay $30 for a program. Not a word in it. Not, not a, a single word, word in the program. Because I was like, oh, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that. There wasn't a single word in it. doesn't tell you anything about Cher on the show, but it is. But since I've looked back at it, so it's great. so beautiful. <laughs> and the, the photos are so sumptuous. And she is in, in every outfit and every look she's ever turned, just being the icon that she is. Talking about being the icon that she is and trendsetting, she is the absolute pioneer when it comes to autotune. She was one of the the pioneers behind the vocoder, which is that mm. like the the distortion of the voice and that like that whole sound that really was born out of out of the Believe album and. That was, I think that was Believe was the first lead single of that album where we first heard it. And it was kind of a little bit controversial at the time because people weren't used to hearing this manufactured sound. And, and they're like, oh, she hasn't got it anymore. She can't sing anymore. That's why she's got to <laughs> yeah, use all these robotics and she's got to use all of this. And it wasn't. It was a deliberate choice because yeah. that was she wanted to create that new kind of sound. Yeah. And she really did. And it has been popularised since then. And now it's huge. Everybody it's huge. Uses Everybody uses it. it. One of my favourite memories about this song and about the use of the auto-tune was Bob Down's act. Do you remember Bob, Bob Down has a song? <laughs> and he, I just remember. He used to be on, like, Good Newsweek or on the television and he would sing, Do you be love after... <laughs> he would, like, run his fingers through his lips, just mimic the auto-tune. Uh, as a gay teenager, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I know that there is an episode of the Graham Norton show where she's being interviewed and she's with Dawn French. They give members of the audience this thing that they can sing into where it mimics the the sound of her voice. Yeah, right. And they give it to her and she sits on the couch and she sings Believe with this vocoder in front of her and yeah. it, it distorts her voice. And because she's, she's, like we said earlier, well in on the joke. She knows. She gets it. She's self-referential she never, in everything that she does and she never takes herself too seriously. No, and she doesn't seem to take anything to heart. So there was a lot of controversy around Cher's appearance on the David Letterman show in 1986. It was the first time that she had been on the show and Letterman had been trying to get her on the show for about four and a half years or so, he says, and he was like, what is the issue? Why don't you want to come on the show? <laughs> and she was like, oh, I've got this hotel bill and the only reason I've decided to come on the show is because I've been staying in New York for like months now and I've got this hotel bill and I, I just can't afford to pay it. And they said that they would pay the hotel bill for me if I came and did the show. It's really <laughs> funny. It's really came. And he was like, okay, but that's not it. I've heard something else. And then they got into this conversation. But of course, that's not really the reason. What, what was the reason? I mean, you, you must have had a change of heart about something. No, actually, 
I don't know, because I thought that I would never want to do this show with you. Now, why? Now, let's, let's uh, explore this a little. Why? Because you thought I was... Uh, uh... An ass. And to the viewers at home, that was Cher saying that David Letterman, she thought he was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> an asshole. I thought you were an asshole, David Letterman. <laughs> Wouldn't it's, be too many people that have called David Letterman an asshole. Well, maybe not to his face. It's really funny because he later recalled that it, it hurt his feelings and that she was one of the only, one of the few people that he really, really, really wanted to have on the show yeah. at that time. If you and he felt like her, a total fool. And especially because he didn't say those sorts of things to people. He didn't try and get them offside. But for some reason, for whatever yeah. reason, Cher thought that he was an and asshole. Has she, has she ever really said? Because she doesn't, in fact, go into it. She in never goes into it. And no, and then and then she says, uh, she goes, no, I said, I said that you're an astronaut, not an ass. <laughs> and it's very, it's very funny. It's very tongue in cheek. But there was, there was literally no reasoning behind it. She, of course, returned to the show in 1987, re- reuniting with Sonny for the last time before his death to sing an impromptu version of I Got you babe um they weren't the best of friends at that point but they knew it would make for unforgettable Mm. tv and in 2015 rolling stone magazine said that had youtube existed back then then it would have gone instantly viral the next day mate it's got 5.7 million views on youtube anyway which for a video that is that old is quite a lot because obviously it hasn't got the traction when it was first released yeah they say we're young and we don't know. Don't find out I don't know if all that's true. Cause you got me and baby, I got you. Baby, I got you, baby. Which is, of course, the last time that they were... They were going to sing together, that together. Yeah. You were talking before about her attitude towards David Letterman. It's still quite present in this interview as well, where not quite to that extreme, but where she said something off the cuff about the performance that was coming up and said that she was feeling a little bit nervous. She had a sore throat or something. She'd had laryngitis or something Something recently. she wasn't feeling yeah, yeah. well. She said, I'm feeling kind of nervous. And David Letterman goes, well, we're all feeling nervous. And she said, I wasn't nervous about meeting you. <laughs> Just really like frank. She really had a beat her button about him, didn't she? We'd be remiss not to talk about Cher's Twitter. The fact that she's batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really great insight into who she is as a person. Uh, I've compiled I've compiled a little list of some of my favourite tweets yeah. of things that she, she's she's put out in the last few years since joining Twitter. And she will tell you herself, she's very big on it. She loves yeah. it. And it's definitely, like, it's definitely her. You can tell there's no minders. There's no one else looking after it. She, it's like her favourite way to express herself. And she just loves, uh, she loves a crazy tweet. She does love a crazy tweet. And uh, some of my favourites are, and I quote, iPad freezing up. Maybe it's overwhelmed because it just realised a fabulous diva was touching it. Can't really blame it. Snap out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And then she she tweeted, I blocked someone's dad. Who was it? <laughs> <laughs> like she's just asking the internet. The entire internet. I wish you got like 20 million or something following. Like so great. Can anyone so tell me stupid. <laughs> One of her most famous tweets is where she just like added herself and she said, at share. Hi. <laughs> Someone once Bless. wrote to her, sit on my face. And she said, sit on your own damn face. I'm busy. <laughs> she, of course, always like capitalises a lot of her stuff. It's like her caps lock button is constantly broken. Mm. And somebody said, why are you always yelling? She went, I'm not yelling. I'm Cher. <laughs> All in capitals. Um, I want that on a T-shirt. And I'm I, not yelling. I'm Cher. <laughs> Yeah, right? Let's get them made. And I think my favourite is somebody said, and it was Angela on Twitter said, at share, what's wrong with you? And all these emojis, one or two, fine, but this is ridiculous. And she earnestly responded, at AngieCat1849, excuse me, but are you part of an emoji SWAT team I'm not aware of? Pray tell, what is the legal amount of emojis to text ratio? Bitch. <laughs> 
Oh, that's good. It's really good. It's one of those funny things, though, because she is willing to sort of get into it with people. It kind of provokes people to want to, like, go, oh, I wonder if I can get Cher to come back at me. But is it just another way that she has been so accessible to the world? Yeah, 100%. She's obviously an obsessive consumer of political news as well, and she's made no secret of her disdain for the current president of the United States, President Trump. All of our divas hate Trump, and I love I love it. And I they all it. go in on him on Twitter, which is, I love it so good, because they both... We know how much he tweets, so he's seeing these things that these divas are tagging him in. And she said that she feels that she she has to speak her mind, but that she doesn't care about her haters now because she's old as mud. (laughs) (laughs) She's old as mud. Something that I've always been aware of, like peripherally, but never really paid too much attention to, was... She's been in, like, a lifelong feud with Madonna. Yeah, they hate each other for some reason. Well, I, I've never seen Madonna's side of her going up against Shay. You don't often hear, apart from when she talks about Lady Gaga, Madonna talking negatively really about anyone. She has a lot of her own diva antics. But, you, yeah, you don't really hear her talking negatively about it. But apparently Shay once famously said in a particularly candid CBS interview in 1991... I remember having her over to my house a couple of times because Sean, Sean Penn, and I were friends and she was just so rude to everyone. It seems to me that she's got so much that she doesn't have to act that way. So this was in 1991 and apparently the feud has been ongoing sort of ever since. And I feel it might be more one-sided than anything else. Yeah, right. But it's great because there's so many there's so many interviews where she talks about Madonna. Mate, I was going to tell you this in Mary Did You Know, but... It seems very relevant to this. Did you know that she was passed up for Eva Perron in Evita, which yes, Madonna, of course, got? Yes, I so did. So I, I guess Madonna won that round. I would have liked it better with Cher in it, though. <laughs> I'm I'm half and half on that. I'm still really I'm still really shitty that uh, Patty Lapone wasn't cast on it, but we can get into that another episode. <laughs> yeah, Glenn Close never even called. <laughs> Not even once. <laughs> That'll make sense one day. <laughs> So here's what she was saying in the beginning, around the 1991 mark, about Madonna. What do you think about Madonna? Is she going too far? Is she just... Because, you you know, you're not afraid to make people go, ooh, ooh, what's happening here? I think she's she's very creative, and I think that she does a lot with the talent that she has. Oh, yes. What what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, she's a major, major star, and she's not really a great, great singer. She's not really a great, great actress, but she's a... I mean, but she's one of the biggest stars in the world, so... That's a special art to be able to turn whatever you have into, it's like spinning straw into gold, you know? You turn whatever you have into, into being creative. It's a lot, a lot of, of energy. Yeah. yeah, she made a lot of gold. <laughs> She's the queen of the backhanded compliment. It's a real backhanded compliment. She hasn't got the talent, she hasn't got the voice, but she has a career, so I suppose we have to give her props for it. <laughs> I love it very much. She also then... <laughs> Goes on in a very later interview where she's wearing in this interview a long red wig. So I'm assuming it's around the Believe era. Yeah, right. She had this to say. Do you go jogging like Madonna to keep fit? Well, you mean like my best friend Madonna? Yeah. I thought thought that was was a subtle way to drag her in, you understand. How about dragging her in by her hair? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're not that keen on old madame. Well, you know what? It's really gotten to be so blown out of proportion. But, I mean, because the newspapers here are having a field day with it. When I was in America, someone asked me, I mean, it's not like you go around saying this is how I feel. I mean, but someone said to me, what do you think about it? And I said, well, I think she's unbelievably creative. I mean, I'm amazed at the amount. I mean, because in my day, I was pretty good at doing the same thing that she's doing, but she does it so much better. But, I mean, she's un- unbelievably creative because she's not unbelievably talented. She's not beautiful, but she's kind of, she's rude. And so this man said, how do you feel about her? I said, well, she's nice, but, I mean, she, she's creative, but she's rude. And then I used another word and they bleeped me. <laughs> so she went from not having any talent, not having a great singing voice, not having this, to now not even being pretty. She's not pretty. She's, she's and I want to drag her in by her hair. <laughs> it just keeps going. But she says it all with this, like, really lovely smile on her face. Is it and showbiz? Is it 
fun? Is it funny for like? Is it okay? Well, you want me to hate Madonna? Here's here's a bit of me just you know it might behave in that way. It might just be this because they recently joined forces within the last couple of years. There was a photo of them posted backstage at the 2017 Women's March in Washington, where they both gave like really great impassioned speeches, rallying against Donald Trump. And there they were together, and Cher posted it on her Instagram, and Madonna posted mm. it on her Instagram, and it was just like. Yeah. yeah, but even as soon as like she was on the Ellen DeGeneres show, um, and they were playing the game five second rule, and Cher was asked to answer oh, a variety so of questions as the clock ticked down to the five seconds, and when she was asked for choosing three celebrities she wants to duet with, um, she said, "Oh, Adele, Pink, and ah, 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 not Madonna." <laughs> And that was as that was as that was just like a couple of years ago. Two thousand two thousand eighteen. This is part of my brand, and <laughs> this is what people expect from me. I love Who it. Knows? It's shady as hell, and it's wonderful. It's very similar to the way that she talked about Miley Cyrus for a little bit, which um, with sort of her her quite heavily weighing in any chance that she got, she was weighing in on you know the transition of Miley Cyrus from you know Hannah Montana into in, in particular you know the twerking performance, the VMA. The VMAs, which, uh, you know, was such a big talking point at the time and Cher really wanted to to be a part of that discussion. She took a chance. So you've got to give her something for that. And I must say in my other interviews, I haven't given her anything because I didn't like it. And I, I, I've said this and I believe this. If the chick had come out naked and done a great performance doing the same things, I don't care. I would have said, you know, great. I'm behind you 100%. I don't like the fact that it wasn't good. Mm. <laughs> you know? So if Madonna had come out and done that, she would have done it. You know? Yeah. You would have thought, huh, it's on the borderline, but it's so great. Who cares? <laughs> and I don't think that that's what she did. It just wasn't good. It just wasn't good. <laughs> It wasn't good, but also bringing her her good old friend Madonna back into it again. I cut her off a little bit early there because I do like how she drives this home. You know, it's just, it's my professional opinion. Don't forget. (laughs) Don't forget. I'm Cher, bitch. Everything I'm saying is just my professional opinion. I'm Cher, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And don't you forget it. I love it because during that she references her, of course, the interview that she first gave when Miley gave that performance at the VMAs where she said, she told USA Today, she said, I'm not old fashioned, but she could have come out naked. And if she just rocked the house, I would have said, you go, girl. It wasn't done well. She can't dance. Her body looks like hell. The song wasn't great. Was that a cheek was hanging out? One one (laughs) cheek was hanging out, which was her butt cheek because she had that PVC thong on. One cheek was hanging out and chick... Don't stick your tongue out if it's coded. <laughs> the gag. The gag heard around the world, sis. I screamed. I remember when that happened. So. <laughs> so she, did, she did later backtrack on Twitter saying, what I should have said is, I didn't like it that much, but she's pushing the envelope. She's being an artist and she's talented and she didn't commit a felony in capitals. Hey, look, and Miley's done all right, so <laughs> let's not feel too bad for her. She does have this great way of going, you know what, I've got an opinion and I've got a right to share it. Why don't we crack right into the next bit? That's right. We are at the point of the show where we talk about the trivial things that you may or may not know about the divas that we're covering. Mary, did you know? So, I didn't know that although Sonny had wanted earlier in their career to launch Cher as a solo artist, she encouraged him to perform with her because she suffered from terrible stage yeah. fright. Isn't that interesting? Apparently she would, that's why in a lot of really early performances of Cher, she mainly just looked at him. She didn't even really perform to the camera or perform to the audience. She would just sort of perform just to him. Yeah, so, because he began joining her on stage and like singing the harmonies and that's how she disguised her nervousness was by looking at Sonny and she later commented that she sang to the people through him. I thought it was really fascinating. For someone that's done as many world tours and as many live shows yeah. as she does, she's probably on our list of divas, the one, because I know there are quite a few that haven't done that many and don't do that many like live public performances. She's probably the one that's done, I would say, she loves the most. Touring. She loves, she loves touring. touring. Yeah, she's obviously come a long way since then. And we should remember too that at that point when she was doing that solo stuff, she was like 19. Yeah, it was between 19 and 21. But it doesn't really match with that 
The share we know today. Well, it doesn't really match with the share that people sort of said that she was too, which was this, you know, I'm going to be a big star. I'm going to be a... Because we all can get a little bit nervous when the actuality of it is right there in front of us. Hey. Yeah, I think it's really cute. Did you see that Sonny and Cher's original name was Caesar and Cleo? (laughs) (laughs) But she would reference that a lot. So during the Sonny and Cher show, she would hone her acting skills in like sketch comedy roles. Yeah. And she had like a couple of their own characters. She had like this really brash housewife called Laverne who would wear like the red hair and the big glasses. This waitress called Rosa and historical people such as Cleopatra. So she sort of took that inspiration from their very first iteration of their name of the Sunny and Cher brand that was yeah. Cleo and Caesar. I think yeah. it's, I think it's, it's, it's so like fascinating. One of those, what, I, what I find really interesting when we look, especially when we delve so far into such iconic divas past, it becomes like a sliding door moment. Sunny and Cher is the iconic go-to thing when you're even talking generally about what a duet is or what a pairing is. Oh, it's like Sonny and Cher. Imagine if the whole lexicon around that was changed to Caesar and Cleo. Oh, it's like Caesar and Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know what the original relationship between Sonny and Cher was? She was his hired as his housekeeper. As his housekeeper. Yes, I did know that. It's really fascinating. It's, it really speaks to the networking Cher, that original Cher that moved to LA, that wanted to network. Why not? Someone that's connected into the into the recording industry. I'll clean your house for you. Yeah, the original <laughs> gig pig. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known? Missy Lemix could never. <laughs> <laughs> Their monogamous lifestyle during the period of sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s and the like staunch anti-drug position that they adopted at the height of the drug culture of that time it really lost them popularity amongst the american youth yeah which is which is akin to what you were saying earlier when they had to go back and start touring the like the cabaret circuits and things like that because they found their popularity waning because they were they were this wholesome family unit and of course it was the time of free love yeah and, and they weren't and, and they were this drugs yeah and, and they were this monogamous couple that had a really staunch anti-drugs really position at the time yeah yeah because you think of Cher as such a liberal person not 100%, having yeah you know, but so early on has these really conservative views yeah so one of the things that's most interesting about Cher is not something that she did at all it's the roles that she didn't get i stumbled across this article about all these different roles that she didn't get. And some of them are so iconic. Like I was talking before about sliding door moments. Imagine some of these sliding door moments. Well, you said earlier on, you said Evita. And I didn't know that, that she was that she was. Yeah, that was that one role. of them. Uh, Madonna won out for <laughs> Evita. And also she was attached to play the lead in A Star Is Born. So the Barbara Streisand version that was obviously recast with Barbara Streisand, that could have been Cher. Um, what an iconic role that's become. I think that's going to be really fascinating as we move through this podcast and the different divas that we are going to start to cover. The link that I'm now starting to see form in my the head between, between A Star Is Born and quite a few of the mm. divas on our list because... I believe three of them got to play the role in the movie of the divas that we're going to cover. Yeah. And now that's three of them that also missed out. Yeah, right. Wild. She was also offered the role of Thelma in Thelma and Louise. But unfortunately, she had to turn it down because, well, at the time, she said it was written as a bit of a rougher role and she just didn't think that it was fitting to her. And in the end, of course, Gina Davis played Thelma and it didn't end up being quite so rough, but it was just a little bit too much for Cher on paper to commit to. She was also going to play Catwoman in Batman Returns, the role that Michelle Pfeiffer got. Oh, stunning. I mean, I love Michelle Pfeiffer, but that would have been heaven. And this one I love. This one has actually been found to be false, but there's a rumour that went around that Christopher Nolan wanted her to play Catwoman in The Batman Returns. Instead of Anne Hathaway. Yeah, in the 2008 version, in The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently he said he wanted to have like like a sexy, older, uh, sort of stalwart of the crime-fighting community. But uh, anyway, it turns out it was all bullshit. But, uh, That's <laughs> so funny. I do love the rumour mill on that one. <laughs> Can't imagine that at all. She was also considered for the role of Louis in Interview with a Vampire because they were considering gender flipping the role because Louis and Lestat Lestat in the original books, they're actually lovers. They kind of tone it down in the movie. Instead, that was kind of the route they went. And of course, cast Brad Pitt. So who would have thought that Cher and Brad Pitt were in competition for the same role at any point? (laughs) 
And she was scheduled to be a part of the cast of the original Mamma Mia movie. Wasn't able to do it because of scheduling conflicts. And, of course, that's why they brought her back for the sequel. Because there was that rumour going around at the time that Dawn French read against Cher Mm. for the roles of Tanya and the other one. (laughs) The two best friends of Meryl Streep. Yeah, They they both were in consideration instead of Christine Bransky and Julie Walters. Yeah. So that's really cute. And it's it's nice that she she got invited back. I mean, they had to kill Meryl off. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Mamma Mia 2, Meryl's dead. Um, <laughs> but they had to kill Meryl off to bring Cher into the fold. Uh, two things. A, I don't think there is such a thing as a spoiler for such a terrible movie. <laughs> and, and, and B, you said, isn't it nice that she was invited back? I think you're like, oh, we have a project that Cher's willing to work on but couldn't because of time restraints. How do we make it possible in any way that we can, she's a part of the yeah, sequel? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> And also because you have Meryl Streep and Cher obviously did Silkwood together. True, yeah. Um, of course. Which how she garnered her first, obviously, Oscar nomination. But this is like, I mean, this is true icon Six status. Six degrees of like separation and <laughs> things coming back around. I'm sure it's going to happen a lot. This is true icon status when you're an icon just for the things that you haven't been able to do in your career, which for you would make you a huge <laughs> God, I'd be a hit. <laughs> I'd be nothing but a success. <laughs> Speaking of Silkwood, when it premiered in 1983, audiences questioned Cher's ability as an actress because up until this point she hadn't, again, hadn't really been known as an actress. She was predominantly a singer and had a singing career, obviously with Sunny and then independently as herself. And she recalls attending a film preview during which the audience laughed when her name came up on the credits at the start of the film. Yeah. And um, for a performance she received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress and won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress. So So stick it up your bum. Suck on that, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) The last fascinating bit of trivia that I stumbled across, which I just really love because, it's again, it's another good pop culture (laughs) crossover. The year that the Cher doll was released, because the Cher doll that was featured in Will and Grace. Yeah, made very, very popular. That was uh, 1976 that was released and it outsold Barbie for the year. (laughs) (laughs) Which in the 70s, Barbie was huge. Barbie would have been like a number one seller. Yeah. Fun fact about that, Bob Mackie made the outfits for all of the dolls as well. Oh, yeah, Yeah, cute. Mattel commissioned Bob Mackie to recreate his iconic outfit to make smaller versions of them for the dolls, which I think is really beautiful. What has Cher got on Bob Mackie? Because he's pretty much just designed for her his well, not entire a lot career. Because, not a lot because he didn't design her last Vegas show and he didn't design her last tour either. Yeah, so right. They've sort of... Parted ways for a little bit. Maybe eventually you just uh, yeah want to try new things. But I know he wasn't. The internet says so. Allegedly, he wasn't. So it in, must be true. He wasn't invited to design for her last tour. Speaking of tours, so in June 2002, she embarked on the Living Proof Farewell Tour and it was announced as like the final live concert tour of her career. Even though she said she would keep making films, she'd keep making movies and keep making records and that sort of thing. It was a real like... For anyone that's seen it, it on that DVD, it, it is a highlight from start to finish of her career and who she is as a performer from the 1960s to then, to, to the early 2000s. It was initially scheduled for 49 shows. So the worldwide tour was extended a few times and by October 2003, so a year after the concert started, it became the most successful tour by a woman ever. So originally scheduled for 49 shows, The 326-date farewell tour finally ended in 2005 as one of the highest-grossing concert tours of all time, seen by over 3.5 million people worldwide, earning her over $250 million for 326 dates around the world. And it just kept getting extended because it was such a tour de force. What a lifestyle to lead for such a long time just to be on the road consistently. One of my favourite bits from the concert is that opening. I mean, that's so iconic that her coming down from the chandelier singing, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Mate, so iconic. And of course, like, we'll pop that up on our website for those that haven't seen it, but everybody knows that moment that Cher comes down in the chandelier. And it's so wonderful. Imagine taking somebody else's song. So obviously it's a song by you 2 that she took and it really speaks volumes in terms because she was doing this farewell tour and really opening the show saying that she still hasn't found what she's looking for. Mm. She still wants more and she's still and she's still got more to give. And it, it, it's a real And like, this world's biggest chandelier is just not going to do it. <laughs> she what else you got? <laughs> she was up there like a drag queen pinata. <laughs> Honestly, absolutely lovely. 
So after that concert tour, taking that farewell tour all around the globe, she had three years of retirement where she sort of just laid low for a little bit and caught her bearings after being on the road for so long. And then she began in 2008 a three-year, 200-performance residency at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace, Las Vegas, for which she reportedly earned $60 million a year. And it was just titled Share. So that was in 2008. $60 $60 million a year is like, God, I wish I was better at quick maths, but that's at least $45 million a day, right? <laughs> Something like that. Something I'm not right. a mathematician. I'm a drag queen. What would Who I know? I know about share, not math. Hey, we're here to entertain and inform you about divas, not statistics. Not subtraction and addition. <laughs> I also wasn't aware that we talked about her star, the one star that she has on the Hollywood, Hollywood. Walk of Fame, yeah. and the one that she could have had if she'd been able to turn up. Be bothered to show. <laughs> yeah, show her face. It was probably a scheduling conflict. It, it <laughs> most likely is. She lives in Malibu, so she lives just down the road. She's not far. <laughs> Turns out she's not that fast about it. <laughs> but I also found it really surprising that she didn't receive her handprints. Until quite recently as well. Yeah, yeah, it was November 2010 that she received the honour of placing her handprints and footprints in cement at the courtyard in front of Grauman's Chinese Theatre in Hollywood. Mm. And I was like, wow, it, it, like as late as 2010, considering she'd had this career. Maybe it was the same thing. So long. Maybe, maybe that was how long it took them well, to get her to show up. But also, yeah. And that's <laughs> the kind of one where you have to show up because they need your <laughs> they need your body parts. That you can't fake. You can't send you can't send Chad Michaels to go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be the actual share. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that she's got three quarters of an EGOT. So she's got the Emmy, she's got the Grammy, she's got the Oscar. But she doesn't have a Tony. Mm. However, in December 2019, a little show opened on Broadway called The Share Show. And it was a biopic musical of her life, basically, from the start of her career until present day and they had three ladies playing the role of Cher throughout her life so they had it was Michaela Diamond who played Babe who was the I Got You Babe era then you had Teal Wicks who played Lady who was like the 70s dark lady era and then you had Stephanie J Block who played the star and that's the Cher we know and love today the Believe Onwards and all of that and Stephanie J Block was actually nominated for and won her first Tony Award for that show for playing Cher. Ah, okay. So in a way, she kind of does because it was a show that Cher produced, yeah. And it was a show that she—it's sure. all of her music, and it's all—it's all about her life. So in a way, she kind sure. of does. Sure. And I really want to buy into this with you, <laughs> but a Tony Award given to an actress is on her ability to act <laughs> and to play Cher. <laughs> <laughs> she really she had the source. If the material. show won an award, I would I would I would count it for it. Why is it that the Cher show I mean it's one of it's one of Tony, or at least one of its actresses have. Why is it that the Cher show hasn't been a bigger success in it, in its entirety then? Like why is this not why did it not have a longer run and why are we not seeing it come here? I love Cher. This is the perfect musical to me. I yeah, I get it. And it was and it was great. You can see I'm not saying go out there and support bootleg copies of Broadway shows out on the internet. But there is a full but. bootleg of it out there that I have seen. It is very wonderful. And their, their impressions of Cher and their sort of like embodiment, it's great. And it, it really is because they're all... Well, we'll watch it because you are a f- fucking criminal, basically. Huge, huge Broadway <laughs> nut. And a criminal. Why it didn't get a longer run, I don't know. It got good reviews, but I think we're in a climate now. If you're not getting like incredible reviews, yeah. the show closes when particularly it's on two. Broadway. Yeah, it's and tough. also the scheduling things where there's other shows having to come into theaters and things like that. Every season is different, but it did get the recognition it deserved for best lighting design, best costume design, and best lead actress in a musical at the Tony Awards last year, which was really beautiful. Because well, here's hoping we get to see something like it. Okay, Tequila, before we move into why we're so obsessed with you, which is the segment of the show where we talk about why we as a queer community and you and I as very gay men love these icons so much, I just wanted to start a bit of a petition. I know it's only the second episode, but I think it's time to rename this segment. Just see what you think of this. Instead of Mariah singing why we're so obsessed with you, can we try this? I've got (laughs) rainbows up my ass. Was that too long a (laughs) run-up? Talk about being blindsided on my own podcast. I've got rainbows up my ass today and I've got rainbows up my ass. (laughs) Why is it that Cher puts rainbows up our ass? (laughs) No, we won't be doing that. We will, of course, be sticking with Mariah. It's time now for... I was like... Why are you so obsessed with me? 
I think one of the things that, that really resonates with the community, she says it herself, how alike she is to a drag queen, which means she's quite easy to impersonate in drag. But it's not just that, because there are other people who are easy to impersonate, like Dolly and, and, and others that we do see in drag. But Cher is easy to impersonate, plus has very drag-friendly songs. She's a bit of a pop dance genre. She's got a lot of stuff in that field. So not only is she easy to impersonate, but she's also someone that appeals to the sort of thing that drag queens want to do on stage. And in fact, it was it was like a bucket list thing for me. And when I had that four and a half minute drag career that was so incredibly successful, I, I had a number lined up for baby drag when I was performing there. And I was not able to perform that number at the last minute. And I went, you know what? Now's my chance. It was one of the worst performances I've ever got (laughs) given because I decided I think the day before that I was going to do it. But I got to stand there on a stage and I performed strong enough to an audience, not with the original choreography. Oh, damn. I was really, (laughs) really hoping you were going to tell me it was with the original choreography. Not with the original choreography. In fact, what I did do was probably not that great. (laughs) But I've bloody performed Sherry Drag and that was a lifelong goal of mine. I love it. And of course, that kinship between drag queens and Cher has always been such a prevalent thing within the community as well. If you've seen one drag queen do Cher, you haven't seen them all do Cher because unless you've seen Chad Michaels (laughs) do Cher, and I have to say, she has built an entire career off the back of impersonating. That's weird. Polly Phillips trying to ring my phone. Hello? Hi, Ali Polly. Sorry, your ears might be burning. We'll get to you in a bit, Sorry, I promise. Was it just Chad you said was the only yeah, good yeah, sharing yeah. person? Yeah, that, that was it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Keep going. And it was evidence, obviously, most of all during her performance on Snatch Game during her season of RuPaul's Drag where Race. She, where she did, like, a couple of different versions of shares and she did the first ever, like... The she changing didn't complete, of costumes, She yeah. didn't change complete characters, but she changed her wig and she changed her costumes mid-Snatch Game. Yeah, I loved it. so she's sitting there in the, obviously, the Academy Awards outfit with the Academy Awards headdress and then she changes to the black wig and then she changes to the blonde wig. It's very good. And Chad herself says the way that she impersonates Cher isn't this, you know... Like we talk about Jack McFarlane, you know, turn yeah. back tall. Like she goes, I don't do that. She goes, I study share, I watch share, and I've got her mannerisms, and you can really see that in the way that Chad does her share. She has this irreverence for this this diva and this icon that mm. she has spent basically her entire career building her brand around on being a share impersonator. There are also like a bunch of other drag queens within the community that I would like to give like a quick shout out and special honourable mention to in terms of playing share. You also have the fabulous Charlie Hydes who used to do a lot of oh, she like, does do a great share. the impersonation videos where yeah. she would play share. You have the Vivian does a wonderful share. And there are great local performers as well that I've seen. I know Polly Filler does a does a wonderful share. And if you've ever been to Puffed Off on one of their countdowns. Polly, it's fine. No, it's Polly. You can get off the phone now. She's giving you the credit you wanted. (laughs) If you've ever been to Puffed Off on one of their countdown nights, you'll always find Polly at some point doing whether it's Believe Share or Turn Back Time Share. One of my personal favourites of Polly's. Oh, yeah. And she's got the outfit and she's just The whole thing. And then you even have younger queens who... There's a girl in Perth, um, Delvira Midnight, who has based her entire look and her entire act mm. around being a share, a share look queen, a share in person, and she's yeah. so and she's wonderful. And like, there's no denying that the the synonymous relationship. Yeah, there. none whatsoever. Thomas Rogers from Salon Magazine once said that drag queens imitate women like Judy Garland, Dolly Parton, and Cher because they overcome insult and hardship on their path to success and because their narratives mirror the pain that many gay men suffer on the way out of the closet. Which, again, we sort of talked about this last time. Yes, I, I think there is some truth to that, but I th- I think it's a bit basic to boil it down to just that too. Like, I think there is something – the kinship is more about the celebration of – the over-the-topness and... The flamboyancy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm sure that there is a lot of people that would resonate with a lot of these stories for that reason, but let's not just say, we're sad, they're sad. Yeah, <laughs> We I should all get along. I think it's, sometimes it can be quite reductive. It's a bit reductive. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit reductive in the way that they boil it down to that. There's more than that as well. It's also about celebrating who they are and how big and how extravagant and how comfortable they are being that way. Yeah, definitely. And I think those sorts of compassion 
comparisons in those articles that I read like that, they tend to be comparisons drawn between a generation that was before you and I. Yeah, true. Which is why I don't want to rule it out completely because I'm sure that there is a large portion of the community that connected in that way for that reason. Yes, and that's why those 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 queer people at that time they gravitated towards Judy Garland because she was she was tragic and they were they felt they felt their lives were tragic as well Mm. and they sought that sort of kinship between them. But I think it has progressed beyond that now. And just to say that that's that's all it is is reductive because Mm. it's more than that. It's it's we love the sequin. We love the we love the flamboyancy. We love the campness. And And I think it's that inherent campness. We love the attitude and we love the being cheeky and the celebration of it all. The owning your confidence in a really powerful way. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of that. There's also her philanthropic work in the area of AIDS and HIV research. In particular, the American Foundation of AIDS Research gave her their Inspiration Award in 2005 and, in fact, said that she was one of the greatest champions in the fight against AIDS. They also suggested that she showed a willingness and ability to use her fame for the greater good. So she's supported her supporters and she's supported the community in that way. She was a keynote speaker at the 1997 PFLAG convention, which I love. Chaz, at the time, identified as a lesbian and she was speaking as a mother of a lesbian to all of these parents and friends of lesbian and gay community, which is super cute. And when Chaz eventually came out and Cher was able to accept her son's sexual orientation, she realised that Chaz, as well as other LGBT. QIA plus people didn't have the same rights as everyone else. And she thought that that was completely unfair. Yeah, she was quite vocal about that. And so she emerged as not only an icon among LGBTQIA plus people, but also as a role model for straight parents who have like gay, lesbian, bisexual or ten- transgender children as yeah. well. And I think like, that's really beautiful to overcome one's like own unconscious bias against yeah. how they were feeling internally mm. then and to rise above that and to accept and to to love and the, the amount of love that she has shown since is yeah, it, it's yeah. really heartwarming for an Which entire community. I think I think of course is important to touch on is that you know especially because of Cher's relationship with Twitter, she did struggle with these things quite publicly at first. But the good news story out of it is that she acknowledges that and she understands that and she feels bad about that and has gone to as 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 bigger lengths as she possibly can to try and you know make up for that and and to inform other people that that's not the right way to feel. Yeah, of course. And that's that's such a big thing as well as the education behind it and then coming to terms with your own internal demons on that issue and how you feel about it and then educating yourself and then in turn being able to educate others as well. It intrigued me to learn that William J. Mann, the author of Gay Pride, A Celebration of All Things Gay and Lesbian, mentioned that Cher became a big notable name in the gay community, not only for her music and for her like drag aesthetic and her drag outfits and that sort of thing, but she became a huge hit within the leather community of the 80s because of her leather looks and her rocker and her biker chick type thing. Yeah. And that allowed like another area of our community to sort of engage with her. Yeah. So she took the drag queen, she took the leather queen she took everyone i'm like yes hey and let's cornering every market of the queer community let's do it let's not forget that she played a lesbian in silkwood she's just played all corners of our community (laughs) of course tequila and i i don't know whether it's better for you or i to tell this story correctly but one of the times that we saw share was at mardi gras so the, the connection to that gay scene is definitely still there in terms of just a couple of years ago for the big 40th anniversary she was of course the headline act at mardi gras how would you describe my behavior when share was about to come on stage was it before or after you yelled at Marsha hines <laughs> Because I'm not entirely sure what I witnessed that night, but I witnessed I a fully grown I witnessed a fully grown man go into some kind of it was a mix between like a psychotic episode and a full nervous breakdown. It was a hyperventilative state, maybe. <laughs> I maybe, saw I best. saw you trying to climb walls. I saw you I believe losing- the term you called me was some kind of homo <laughs> Climbing a spider monkey. Climbing a gate like a homosexual spider monkey. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened to me. And it's never happened to me since. I lost my mind. Oh, it was know. unbelievable to watch. And it was an absolute joy because it was like just the, the sheer joy emanating from <laughs> you. And it, it, it was a combination of a whole bunch of things because I was worried that we wouldn't get into 
the main uh, HIV the, pavilion yeah, where she was. Because I was nice. like, everybody's going to go straight there. There was a there was a massive queue to get into Mardi Gras. You finally get in, and then you realize that you you're in, and it's happening. And then one of my favorite Australian divas and idols, <laughs> Marsha Hines, just walks up behind me, and I. <laughs> the thing was, I mean, you know, not just the concerns that we wouldn't get in or whatever, but I honestly believe that I'd missed my chance. The farewell tour was supposed to be the last time that she came out here, and I, this person that, if you, in the context of what, how I was talking about her earlier, that I felt like she just wasn't even comparable to other people. <laughs> you know, she was almost like this superhuman person i didn't think i'd ever i was ever going to see her so the build-up for months and months and months before mardi gras of course this was before she toured australia so she hadn't even announced that yet now got to see her twice which is amazing but yeah it was that entire realization of all of this that i never thought would happen coming true and she was of course the headline act and joel creasy got to talk to her and she had some really beautiful things to say about the community what do your uh, lgbtqi fans mean to you well, you know, I, I've, I've known gay people since I was nine years old. Yes. And I also have seen, you know, I know about Stonewall. I, I've seen firsthand what people have had to go through. And I'm so happy that finally everyone is not having to take their life in their hand to be who they are. Yeah, it really showed that kinship. And I remember she told a story from the stage that night too about her, I think her mother's hairdresser. Yeah, someone that she memories. called her uncle or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Memories of this guy that she just thought was so fabulous and, you know, the kinship has always been there for her. If none of that convinces you, then there are, of course, the words of Cher herself. So, are you God? <laughs> it depends on which bathhouse you pray at. <laughs> and don't you forget it. <laughs> and don't you forget it. <laughs> We've played one clip from Will and Grace. We've played, <laughs> we played them all. all the clips from Will and Grace. <laughs> well, I think that's all we have time for, Robert. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you caught me mid I did, I did. Of- but we are almost out of alcohol <laughs> and it's almost, almost time for us to go to bed. We've moved on to the... To the- <laughs> Desperation signers. But, of course, we, we can't go anywhere without leaving you with one more iconic diva moment. So the diva moment is a part of the show where we leave you with one moment that if we haven't convinced you by now that this person is a diva, this moment will. This week's diva moment comes from the farewell tour when she had this to say very publicly. And there's all these young girls and they're coming to take, well, they're not going to take my place, but they're going to take somebody's place. J-Lo and Britney and all those girls, you know. Anyway, if you want to know the truth, why I wanted to make it so fabulous, I have a motive, okay? And that is, I thought, I'm going to make this show so fabulous, and then I'm going to say, follow this, you bitches. Follow this, you bitches. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's so synonymous with, with Cher and, and the kind of attitude that she has. And she's just like, come on, I'm laying down this challenge. Follow this, you bitches. <laughs> Thank you so much to everyone for listening to the Cher episode of Diva on Divas. It would be really great if you would follow us on our socials. You can find us on Instagram at Divas on Divas, on Facebook at Divas on Divas. And you can also visit our website, divasondivas.com, where you'll find all of our bonus content that we've lined up for you, everything we've talked about in the episode today. We're going to put up links, we're going to put up videos and all of this stuff where we can interact with you online. We're going to take you out this week, like we do every week, with an item from the Diva Vault. This one hasn't been in the Diva Vault very long, only since 2019 when Cher appeared on America's Got Talent and sang Waterloo on the promotional trail, of course, for ABBA. There was a lot of commentary around that time about her age, and her status and who she is now and can she still do it live and she proved every single one of her critics wrong and she sang live damn it on national television (laughs) well until next week everybody don't forget you you haven't haven't seen the last of me